2: You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry and I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Tracy, everybody knows that I wax rhapsodic all the time about Michelle Lebrun. You sure do. Uh, <laughs> She is one of my very favorite artists. This is not about her, but uh, she's kind of loosely tied to it. We haven't featured an artist biography in a minute. And I love them. So today we're going to talk about someone who is actually one of Vigée Le Brun's influences, and that is Rosalba Carriera, who had been on my list for a bit. And then she also came up in a discussion that Tracy and I were having recently. Uh, we are also coming up on her birthday. So it kind of seemed like a good time to talk about her surprising level of success in the male-dominated European art world of the early 1700s. It's a little surprising because most people don't really know about her unless they study art history. She's not one of, like, the great painters that you get the list of in a standard art class. Um, And much of what we know about the particulars of Carriera's life come from her diary, which was initially published in 1793. That was almost 40 years after she died. And since she was pretty clearly not intending for that diary to be a published biography— Her life story has largely been pieced together through the notes that she was taking in that diary on her daily life. And some of those are fairly inconsistent in terms of, like, how she listed her commissions and their statuses and their payments. So really, it was like if you have a checklist or some sort of journal where you keep track of what's going on in your day, imagine if that got published (laughs) as your life story. Probably people would think you were maybe disorganized or uh, just inconsistent, but I think most people are. For example, she had a system of marking things, but it seemed to change and evolve. And there are some notations that no one's really decided yet exactly what they meant, whether they included, like, sitting time or it was, like, a system to denote what phase of of the business transaction they were at, uh, making it all sort of tricky. And additionally, she did not keep any sort of consistent diary after the late 1720s. She kind of fell off of that habit. So even what we have is kind of a small section of her life. But she was incredibly successful in her lifetime. But because of the nature of her work and the art that she did and her style of art kind of falling out of favor after her lifetime, all of which we are going to talk about, her story has largely been forgotten outside of art history circles. So we're going to give her a little love today.
2: Rosalba Giovanna Carriera was born in Venice, Italy on October seventh, 1675. Some sources list her birth date as at the end of 1673. Her father, Andrea Carriera, was a legal clerk in the government, and her mother, Alba Foresti Carriera, was a lacemaker. Rosalba had two sisters. Her sister, Giovanna, might have been born in 1675, and that could have contributed to this confusion on the birth dates. Her youngest sister was Anzola Cecilia, who was born in 1677. Anzola would later marry the famed Venetian painter Giovanni Antonio Pellegrini.
1: Yeah, and Zola, you will sometimes see her name appear uh, anglicized to Angela. So if you're ever looking anything up about them, that's what's going on there. Uh, And Rosalba most likely learned lace making from her mother. But most of the information that we have about this is pretty speculative. It is certainly possible that she learned this trade. It's also possible that her initial artistic efforts were making lace designs for her mother. But we don't really know.
2: We do know that at some point she turned to visual art. She might have been tutored by one or more of Venice's prominent artists at the time. These included Antonio Lazzari, the engraver Diamantini, and painter Antonio Bellestra. All of them have come up as possible mentors, but it's not totally clear whether she received formal instruction from any of them. She started to render portraits in miniature on snuff boxes, which were popular with tourists in Venice. One of the things that made her work in snuff box portraits unique was her use of ivory as a background rather than vellum and using tempera as the painting medium. That use of ivory eventually became commonplace in miniature portraiture, but
1: she was the first known to do this. And her first known pastel portrait, which is something she came to be known for, was begun most likely in 1699. So she was already in her 20s at that point. And it was a rendering of the artist and art dealer Antonio Maria Zanetti in 1915, that is a significant jump, but come with us, uh, Austin Dobson wrote of Rosalba's choice to work in pastels, a medium that was not particularly popular. And he wrote, quote, in oil painting, the field was crowded with formidable competitors, but the less popular pastel with its brilliant contrasts and silvery transparencies, its vivid tints and velvety softness offered special facilities for the display of Rosalba's gifts, as well as the disguise of her deficiencies. So up to this point, pastels were mostly used just for quick drawing studies or preparatory sketches to lay out a work that was going to later be rendered in oil.
2: Her artwork was quickly recognized as special. She was still young and pretty new in the field. And within a very short time, Rosalba had become a member of Rome's prestigious Academia di San Luca. And that was an association that sought to govern, educate, and elevate the arts.
1: Yeah, that was uh, by some accounts within a year of her really starting her art career. So that's quite notable. And Carriera gained a significant enough following that when nobles and royalties visited Venice, they were sure to commission portraits, either in miniature or in larger size. Throughout her early career, her reputation rapidly spread throughout Europe due to these tourist commissions. When the wealthy visitors then brought their Carriera portraits back home, they showed them off to their friends and thus expanded her audience, who all hoped that they would eventually get their own Rosalba portraits made. Among her commissions in her early career were portraits of Maximilian II of Bavaria and Frederick IV of Denmark. In 1708,
2: when Ferdinando Carlo Gonzaga, Duke of Mantua and Montferrat died. Rosalba Carriera assisted in managing his art collection as it was distributed to new owners. She cataloged the pieces that were involved and sent the lists to buyers. She also copied one of the works of painter Guido Cagnacci, which was in the Duke's collection. She did that as a study.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, talk of copies throughout her career, like she would make copies of other people's work, people would copy her work. It did not seem to have the same concern in terms of legality or uh, stealing of intellectual property that it does at this point. On April 1st, 1719, Rosalba's father died, and this was, of course, a very difficult loss. The Carriera family was incredibly close. But it also, uh, on the upside, opened up some avenues of opportunity because up to that point... Rosalba had stayed her entire life in Venice, but once he passed, she felt free to travel for the first time, which people wanted her to do, and she was in her 40s at that point.
2: So in 1720, Carrietta, who was encouraged by collector Pierre Crozat, traveled to Paris. Crozat had assured her that Paris would just love her, and he was right. We really should pause for a moment to acknowledge how influential and important Crozat was in the European art world at the time. Over his lifetime, he amassed one of the most impressive private art collections in history, and this collection, which was augmented and further developed by his nephew after his death, was acquired in its entirety by the State Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia in 1772 as part of Catherine the Great's private collection. This was one of the biggest art acquisitions of its time. The entire collection remains at the Hermitage to this day, so... All of that is to contextualize the fact that when Crozat told Rosalba Carriera that she should come to Paris as his guest and it would be good for her career, that advice was carrying considerable weight.
1: And in just a moment, we will talk about this big Paris trip, which most art historians note as an incredibly important event in Carriera's life. But first, we're going to take a quick sponsor break.
3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: Me! Focus
0: Features presents Back to Black.
2: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
0: Experience the music and her story.
2: Know like this. I ain't no spy skill.
0: Like never before.
2: That's my daughter. That's my Amy.
0: On the big screen. I
1: want to be remembered. Just
0: being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not minute without parent, only in theaters, May 17th.
1: When she traveled to Paris, Rosalba brought her entire remaining family along for the ride. Her sister Anzola and husband Giovanni Pellegrini accompanied her, Pellegrini having his own business to conduct in Paris on a commission to paint a bank ceiling. Her sister Giovanna had begun to assist her in her work, and so she traveled with her, and her mother was also part of their traveling party. While in France,
2: Rosalba painted several dozen commissions, including one of Louis XV, who was still a child of 10 at the time. While Louis XIV had died five years earlier, Louis XV wasn't actively ruling yet due to his young age. This portrait features Louis XV in a red coat with a blue sash and a white lace jabot, surrounded by a mane of curly hair. He has large brown eyes that become the focal point of the portrait. They're rendered in slightly sharper detail than his other
1: features. Yeah, there's an eyelash situation going on in that painting that I love. Carriera's trip to Paris also resulted in her being invited to join the French Royal Academy on the merit of that portrait of Louis. Once the members of the Academy saw her rendering of what they were calling the Dauphin—again, there's that weird thing with him not quite being king uh, yet—her acceptance was, according to her own diary, instant and unanimous. And this was truly a moment of note, as women were rarely admitted to the Academy, and I think on previous occasions there had been a lot of voting involved.
2: Carriera sent a Pastel to the Royal Academy in Paris as part of her admittance as a member. It was called Nymph de la Suite d'Apollon. It's in the collection of the Louvre today. While she had been accepted based on her portrait of Louis XV, she wanted to send a different work, which she shipped later on from Venice. And she wrote of this portrait, quote, "'I have tried to depict a young girl, knowing that to youth many faults are forgiven.' She also stands for a nymph of Apollo's choir who goes on her own part to offer to the Academy of Paris a wreath of laurels, judging that body alone worthy to wear it and to preside over all the others.
1: There were a number of reasons that the timing was perfect for Rosalba to visit Paris. One was that there was this new trend among the aristocracy to buy their own Paris apartments rather than living at Versailles. There was also a rising merchant class that also found themselves suddenly having property. And they all needed art to decorate those spaces. But of course, the wall space available in apartments was smaller than what they had been used to. Uh, Tracy and I have been to Versailles. Those walls are large and ready for big art. So in these smaller spaces, they needed appropriately sized artwork. So a portraitist that was brought to the city and lauded by one of the continent's most well-known and well-respected art collectors was in high demand indeed, thus her many, many commissions.
2: The other factors had to do with the shift in appreciation for pastelists and their work. Before this era, oil painting had been far more popular. Because production of plate glass had had advanced significantly, delicate pastel works could be preserved without fear that the powdery pigment would flake or would fall away from the backing. That made larger portrait pieces possible instead of just the miniatures that had started Carriera's career.
1: And one other significant contributor was the advancement in the production of pastel crayons. As pastel work became more and more highly regarded, in part because of Carriera's skill and popularity, an industry of art suppliers rose up to meet it. Crayon makers started producing more and more colors, and artists could easily carry them to clients' homes to work. There was no drying time and it did not take up nearly as much space to invite a pastel artist into your home to make your portrait as it would have an oil painter who might require a lot more sittings and also need to leave that work in situ between those sittings occupying a chunk of your house.
2: Despite her great success in France, though, she wanted to return to Venice after a year of being the toast of Paris. This also coincided with a significant financial crash in France that had been brewing for some time under the regent, the Duke of Orléans. Rosalba Carrera had ties to the Scottish economist John Law, who served as controller of France's finances at the Duke of Orléans' appointment. Law had been responsible for the creation of the financial disaster known as the Mississippi Bubble, which was the catalyst for this whole crash. He ended up fleeing Paris in the dead of night.
1: Carriera sort of captured Law's last few days in Paris in her journal, describing days that involved meeting with him as the banknotes that he had been issuing were completely devalued and riots began in the city. There's one entry where she just starts, bad day. She had been working on a commission for him, so she was pretty immediately adjacent to the family as they were planning to leave, although she really doesn't delve into the specifics uh, of the economy in her accounts of each day. But once he left, she just kind of busied herself with all of the other work that she had been hired to do. He, As much as they had been very entwined in each other's lives up to that point, once he's gone, she kind of just wipes the slate clean on him and doesn't really refer to him again. She had, among her other commissions, a portrait of the artist Antoine Watteau, but also worked for a number of other nobles that she wasn't really all that interested in. So in 1721, having made a nice bit of money and worked tirelessly for more than a year... Rosalba returned home to Italy. As a little uh, historical trivia side note, Antoine Watteau is where the name Watteau pleats come from. Which, if you look at pictures of dresses from this century and Marie Antoinette dresses as well, those long pleats that start at the back of the neck and and carry down in a cascade, those are named after him because he painted them so beautifully.
2: In 1723, Rosalba went to Modena, Italy and created several portraits of the princess Henrietta d'Este, as well as the rest of the duke's daughters. The intent was that these portraits would be sent around to potential marriage matches, which was a pretty common practice. Henrietta was one of the young women who was on the short list of potential wives for Louis XV of France. But Holly wasn't able to discern whether he got one of these portraits and part of his search for a
1: suitable queen. And by the time Rosalba returned home to Venice from Modena, she had a raft of commissions waiting for her, ordered from all over Europe, particularly in England, people who had really fallen in love with her work. And she had become one of the wealthiest and most successful artists of her time, working in a medium that no one had been especially interested in before she began creating portraits. And one of the things that's interesting is that in some cases, people would send her portraits that other artists had made of them and said, like, can you do a better version of this? Uh, And she also had a constant list of people who wanted to be taught by her. In
2: 1730, she traveled to Vienna and became a favorite of Charles VI, Holy Roman Emperor. Elizabeth Christine, who was the empress, asked her to teach her after the artist had completed her portrait. After Vienna, Carriera returned once again to Venice, and for the next several years, her life was really a steady
1: stream of work. And then in 1737, everything changed when Rosalba's sister Giovanna died on May 9th. Giovanna, as we mentioned, had assisted Rosalba in her studio, and the two of them were very close. They are often referred to as best friends and confidants. They were so close that in one of Carriera's self-portraits that she produced in 1715, she had chosen to include a portrait of her sister. She is holding that portrait in her hands so that they're kind of together in this self-portrait. And then, uh, to add another tragedy, in 1738, their mother, Alba, also died. And this combination of grief, as well as the loss of her trusted assistant, really slowed Carriera's productivity significantly.
2: By the 1740s, another problem arose that further stunted her work. She started to have some trouble in her vision by 1745 or 1746. At the end of the decade, she had surgery to try to correct her cataracts, This was probably what's called couching, and that involves surgically depressing the opaque lens to the bottom of the eye to let the light in. Around the time that Carriera had her surgery, a French physician named Jacques Daviel was experimenting with cataract extraction, but it's not likely that she had this new procedure. Some accounts suggest that the surgery was what caused her total blindness, but it's more likely that the couching didn't affect any permanent fix. After the surgery, she had written to a friend that she seemed quite hopeful. Regardless, any improvement that she might have had in her vision was pretty short-lived, and within a few years, her renowned and successful career had ended because she was completely blind.
1: Yeah, couching is one of those procedures that actually still happens today in less advanced countries. It's not the best way to deal with cataracts, uh, but it is sort of fascinating if you're into eye science. And during this late period of her work in the 1740s while her sight was failing, Rosalba produced what is believed to have been her last self-portrait. And this portrait is uh, 56.7 by 45.8 centimeters. It's about 22 by 18 inches to give you a sense of the size of the portrait she was doing. It's rendered on buff paper. And in it, she is aged. And the tone of the piece is quite casual. She actually made this for a friend. But what's interesting is that even though her eyesight was going, her technique remains as striking as ever. Uh, she rendered The lace and jewelry really beautifully through the careful use of texture to mimic detail. Her work is one of those things that when you get right up to it, it just looks like a bunch of strokes. And then you just take one step back and everything kind of snaps into a a really beautiful focus with some softness to a lot of the pieces. Uh, And she was still just as good even really struggling with her eyesight as she had been earlier in her life.
2: In the years that followed, Rosalba lived in her home in Venice with her surviving sister, who had been widowed. She dictated her correspondence to her friends and had news and literature read to her, but she was unwilling to go out very often. In December of 1756, she made out her will, leaving everything she had to her sister and a few other relatives
1: and Rosalba died on April 15, 1757, in Venice at the age of 81. She was buried next to her sister Giovanna in the Church of San Vito and San Modesto.
2: She had popularized pastel portraiture to a point where she was one of the most copied artists of all time, and in a way, the timing of her passing was fortuitous. She did not live quite long enough to see the Rococo frills that were so much of a part of her work fall out of favor. But the timing of her death, which took place as the early seeds of neoclassicism were being sown, they contributed to her name falling out of the public eye into relative obscurity, especially compared to some of her male counterparts.
1: Still, she has continued to delight art historians, even in recent years, and we're going to talk about that after we take another quick sponsor break.
3: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
2: Focus
0: Features presents Back to Black.
2: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
0: Experience the music and her story.
2: Know like this. I ain't no spy scale.
0: Like never before.
2: That's my daughter. That's my Amy.
0: On the big screen.
1: I want to be remembered. For being
0: me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
1: One of the things that gives Rosalba Carriera's work its ethereal beauty also added a dimension of danger to shipping her pieces around to their various destinations. Pastels are, of course, just sticks of pigment and a filler that makes them opaque that retain their crayon shape through some sort of binding medium. Pastel works don't require drying time, but they can be easily smudged or distorted. And often in letters or diary notes, Carriera mentioned concerns about her portraits making it to their recipients intact. Rosalba was so concerned about the safety of her works that she even included
2: little good luck charms when she shipped them. In 2017, one of these was discovered by the Royal Collection Trust, and that's the organization that's tasked with the management and care of the British Royal Art Collection and Residences. In 1762, George III purchased the entire collection of Joseph Smith, who was a British art agent and collector who lived in Venice during Carriera's career. She produced several works for Smith over the years, including A Personification of Winter, which Carriera produced in the 1720s.
1: And this piece of work features a young woman with dark hair wrapped in a fur-lined cloak The cloak is falling off of one shoulder, so her shoulder and her neck are exposed, uh, and her face is at an angle, and it's quite striking. And it is rendered on blue paper, although you really can't see very much actual blue through the pastel. And the young woman looks just luminous. The softness of the pastels make her skin look utterly velvety and also sort of glowy, while details like the ribbons in her hair and her earring look sharper in contrast with glints of light on them. And Joseph Smith described this work in his list of his collection, as, quote, the most excellent this virtuosa ever painted.
2: A conservator working with this artwork discovered a tiny card tucked in between the art's wooden frame and the canvas liner. This is a small card, 4.3 by 3.3 centimeters, and it features the three magi, which was a topic that Carriero was very fond of.
1: And this card wasn't exactly a surprise. There is plenty of documentation that Rosalba placed images of the Magi into parcels with her works when she shipped them. She would tell associates that all of her works that traveled with their little saints, the Santini in Italian, always got to their destination safe and sound.
2: As the conservator worked with this piece extra carefully because of the fragile nature of pastels, they noticed a small piece of paper, and it was immediately recognized as one of Carriera's good luck Santorini cards.
1: And because pastels continue to be a topic of conservation discussions in the modern era, and because often the bases used for older pastel art are fragile themselves, so like the paper backings, there are not a huge number of special exhibits featuring pastels that were made during Rosalba's time, including hers. The lack of varnish, like you wouldn't varnish a pastel, means that fading is a real concern for some of them, and exposure to light has to be carefully managed. So that also contributes to the difficulty of shipping pieces for special exhibitions.
2: But the good news is that because she was so popular and prolific during her time, and her work was collected so avidly throughout Europe, you can find Rosalba Carriera's works in many museums throughout the world, as well as checking out her work online. We already mentioned the Heritage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia, and the Louvre in Paris, and her work is also in the collections at the National Gallery of Ireland, the Met in New York, the Museum of Fine Arts Boston, and the Harvard Art Museums. The trick is making sure the work is on display before you go, because pastels require really careful preservation, so they're not always on display for the public.
1: Uh, Yeah, they're spectacularly beautiful, but it's one of those things where even, like, the vibration of moving it from spot to spot can affect how it looks. Yeah, uh, Which makes them all the more special, in my opinion. Uh, so I have a little bit of listener mail. Uh, this is from our listener, Melissa, and she writes, Hi, Tracy and Holly. I absolutely love your podcast. I'm a scientist by training, but absolutely love learning about everything. I'd probably still be in university taking courses if I didn't have bills to pay, which may explain why I chose to teach at a university. <laughs> Thank you so much, by the way, for being an educator from us. Recently, my dad was cleaning out my great-aunt's home after she passed away. She was a career woman who worked for The New Yorker. She was quite the collector and amateur historian. One of the finds that had me exclaiming, much to my dad's confusion, Hollywood love this! was a trio of prints by Charles Adams of the Adams family. I quickly had to explain my love for the podcast and reminded him that one of my Christmas gift requests last year was to attend the live show in Seattle on safety coffins. He may or may not have thought I was a bit too enthusiastic. Anyway, I have attached a quick picture I managed to grab of the prints before they were included in a pile of items being set to be assessed, restored, and framed. Uh, She also gives us a fun suggestion, and then uh, she sends best to you both and will continue to eagerly listen to every podcast on your show. She also attached a photo of her cat, Zuzu, uh, which is pretty great because uh, here's another secret Holly trivia thing. We used to have a cat named Zisu. I almost named her Zuzu. Anyway... (laughs) Thank you so much, Melissa. Uh, I love that it's it's to my heart sort of Charles Adams season now that we're into fall. And even though his work was going on throughout the year because the Adams family is a little bit, um, you know, creepy and kooky. Uh, I think of them as especially fondly at Halloween time. Uh, and I think we're all ready for some Charles Adams fun. So, if you would like to write to us, you can do so at History podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. You can also uh, find us pretty much everywhere on social media as in History, And you should visit our website. That is MissedInHistory.com, where you will find every episode of the show ever, including uh, show notes for any of the ones that Tracy and I have worked on. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast, we would like you to do that as well. You can do that on the iHeartRadio app, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you listen.
2: Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping?